0: I would like this evening to <coughs> speak to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Luke, chapter 11, from verse 1 to verse 13. That is Luke, chapter 11, from verse 1 to verse 13. As you turn to that in your Bible, let me point out to you that if you have the New King James Version, you will see it is very conveniently divided into three separate sections. However, in the uh, Greek New Testament, it's just one section. It's one reading, one portion with no subdivisions. So let's hear God's word then from Luke 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey." I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread uh, from any father among you, Now the passage before us here teaches us about prayer and it includes within it in verses 5 through to 8 a parable, one of the parables of Jesus. I'm sure that you will understand that a parable is an activity or a picture of life intended to convey a spiritual truth or meaning. And that parable is about someone who had absolutely no shame by repeatedly asking a friend for bread at midnight in order to feed unexpected visitors. Now, parables have a a single theme or point to them, and here the focus is upon prayer. In addition, when we read a parable, it is to your benefit not just to look at the parable itself, but look at what precedes it, and look at what follows it, and that will enable you to get the full picture of what that parable is trying to convey. And that is just the case that you have here in Luke 11 from verse 1 to verse 13. The is just in the middle, but at the beginning and at the end, it, makes, it all makes, it, uh, makes sense of what the parable is about. <coughs> so then... The first thing that we must look at this evening is a pattern of prayer, as you have it in verse 1 to verse 4, a pattern of prayer. The parable is set in the broader context of prayer. And one of the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ witnessed Jesus praying. He saw him at prayer. And he listened to the words that Jesus uttered to his Father, as Jesus communed with his Father in heaven. And in that disciple's heart, there rose the desire, oh, that I could pray like that. And hence, the request that the disciple makes of Jesus. The language is very powerful as he asks the question of Jesus there, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what it is to pray. Teach us to pray like you to pray. And what follows then is what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the New King James Version tells us in that verses one through to four is the model prayer, <clears throat> and indeed it does help us to structure our uh, both private and public, public uh, praying. Of importance is the fact that the prayer is intended for disciples. This is not only a private prayer, but it's something that is done corporately. So in in a church situation, we can structure our prayers upon what you have in verses 2, 3 and 4. Now, disciples disciples of Jesus, it's those who know the Saviour. Because at the moment of conversion, what happens to us? We are made new creatures in Christ, certainly, but we are brought into a relationship with Almighty God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is something remarkable. And it follows then that we have new affections, Whereas before we came to know Christ as our Saviour, we had no heart for God. We didn't pray. Perhaps even to read the Bible was something foreign to us. But Jesus Christ changes us by the working of the Spirit. And everything changes because we are in a new relationship that we'd never had before, a relationship with Almighty God. And we want to pray. Pray. We want to speak to our Father in heaven. We want to offer our prayers in Jesus' name. And oh, we come to the word of God and we want God to speak to us and to direct us and guide us and show us what we, how we must live. It's a totally different relationship, you see, that God brings us into It is of great significance that the Lord's Prayer is not a suggestion and neither is it a recommendation as to how you are to pray. Now I'm sure that as many of us here this evening would think of the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's just a pattern prayer. It's just how you really ought to frame your praying. The problem is, that it does not give us a sense of urgency in the original language as I studied this <clears throat> I was absolutely amazed to find words of command words of command so here is not something you know, optional <laughs> well you can pray this way if you want to this is how you must pray, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples then and now, and now to you and me. That's what it's about. Now, think about it in this way. Uh, you, you're learning to drive a, a motor car, and uh, your instructor in the car with you uh, says to you, when you see a stop sign, it's advisable to slow down and gently and stop at the stop sign. That's just ordinary, sensible language. But if it becomes somewhat more urgent, you may find that the instructor says to the learner driver, when you come to that stop sign, stop, and then look to your right and left, and then pull off. But if there's some danger involved as the person approaches the stop sign, a car coming, and it's going to endanger the driver and the learner, and perhaps there could be an accident. Well, housing trusts are going to respond. He or she is going to say, stop! And that's the difference of what you're finding here in this model prayer. There's strong language, there's commands, and that's what makes this prayer so utterly unusual. It's not just a nice pattern, but here is the heart communicating with God, and Jesus says to us, "This is how you must pray." So let's just look at it uh, briefly. <clears throat> now, the very first thing that we find there is what is a continuing request. You know It's like approaching that stop sign, and you tell the, the, the learner driver, you know, pull up there. And look to your right and left and then pull off. Okay, so if you look just a little further on in that passage, and you will see there that that Jesus speaks and he says, um, give us day by day our daily bread. Give us. If you like, that's a gentle command." Lord, every day keep on giving us the things that we need. Food to eat, shelter, clothing, security. Lord, give us what is necessary. It's calling on God to always give. And you can pray to God like that. This evening's reading from Job, you see something of the forthrightness of Job when he speaks about his dealings, uh, his relationship to God and how his friends are treating him. He says those amazing words and though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That that's the kind of force of the language there. Keep on helping me, keep on keep on supplying my need. But we must look also at the other important things that are found there. The the strong words, the strong commands. And the first one is this. It is <clears throat> That the name of our Father in heaven be hallowed, be made holy. So as we pray, we say, our Father, holy is your name. But more than that, we say, we want your name to be known throughout the world and all the peoples of this world to Gives you the glory that is due to your name. So, rightly, Jesus says and that's how you ought to pray. Pray that God's high, majestic, and holy name should be honoured throughout the world. It's a petition that God be worshipped, praised, and glorified in our lives, in the church, and in the world. Now that's a big prayer that's exactly what Jesus says pray big, pray like that what other urgent uh, request or command is there well it is the prayer let your kingdom come our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come that word come It's there as an urgent request. It is a prayer for the success of the gospel wherever it is preached, whether it is in the far flung corners of this world, whether it is in this church and other gospel churches, whether it is out in the open air, whether it is your personal witness of Christ, what Christ has done for you to others. It's for the success of the gospel. And what Jesus is saying, don't be timid. Make your prayer big. Ask God. You know, let your kingdom come. Let it overwhelm the world. That's the strength of the meaning there. What else? <clears throat> the third urgent request or command is that the Father, our Father in heaven should forgive our sins. Forgive our sins don't we tend to minimise our sins and think of them as being little just a personal kind of struggle that we have here Jesus says to his disciples ask God to forgive you he knows your struggle ask him to forgive ask him for that cleansing Ask him to work in your life, to loosen, as it were, the roots of of sin in your life through sanctification, you see. It's a merciful kindness of God that he forgave all our past sins when we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality is that though we are no longer under the dominion or rule of sin, we still do sin in thought, word and deed. And this is one of the very reasons why it is that we must come to God every day and simply ask him, Lord, forgive me for my sins. At the end of a day, we can reflect and think, you know, I said that to my child. I didn't speak kindly to my wife. Oh, I was so ungrateful about this. Lord, I haven't prayed as I should. I've neglected your word. And we can just rack up a whole lot of things that we haven't done. That you pray and you say, Lord, forgive me. Wipe the slate clean. Help me. That's the force of the word that you have there. Forgive, you see. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in Christ, we do sin, and it grieves us that we sin so easily and it is for this very reason that we ask for fresh cleansing we ask for the forgiveness of God you see and we come to a God who has said in kindness and mercy your sins will I remember no more and here is part of the work of God's sanctification by the Spirit's working. And God's forgiveness that he gives to us when we implore him to forgive. And he does. Think of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. How did the publican pray to God? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Beating his chest because he felt his guilt and his sin. What did Jesus say of the man in the parable? The publican went away justified. His sins had been forgiven him, you see. Think about another parable. That servant who was forgiven a huge, huge debt that he owed his master. And as soon as he walked out to his master's presence, a forgiven man not owing his master anything. He comes across one of his fellow workers, who happens to owe him a pittance of money. And he says, I want my money, now! And he's so cruel and harsh as to put the man into prison, you see. You know the parable. we come to God and we say forgive me for my sins and he does should it not make it easier for you and me to say to our brother who has offended us, forgive me or him to say to us, forgive and we say, it's alright God has forgiven God has cleared your slate and mine you see If we are forgiven, we're quite willing to forgive other people. And this is what Jesus highlights in this unusual prayer. The next urgent request or command is about spiritual need. Now, there is a textual problem that you find in verse 4. And it, it reads this way. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that little phrase, but deliver us from the evil one, has a textual problem. And that simply means that it is not included in many of the better manuscripts from which the uh, Greek Testament is is drawn. But nevertheless, that's a word of command. It's a word of command. Deliver us from the evil one. And I think it has a good place in our lives, you see, because surely we can ask the Lord in our spiritual struggles to do a number of things for us. As we struggle with indwelling sin, as we are tempted, you see, is it not appropriate that we should come to the Lord and say to him, deliver me from evil, from sin. Deliver me. When I find myself in a situation where I'm going to fall, fail, bring me out of it. There's a sense of utter urgency there. Has been calling God, you know. I mean, this is the, the the situation. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm in spiritual danger, and you may pray that prayer, deliver me, and God is pleased to deliver you. But that re- powerful request, deliver us from the evil one, is preceded by another. V- Uh, important uh, verb and it's a request that the Lord should not lead us into temptation the word into is very emphatic and it's important therefore and it is that grace should be given to us to resist sin and to flee from it deliver us from or lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And that word temptation, it could mean temptation itself. But it also has other meanings like testing or trial. So it's not just about temptation per se. But there may come test to you in this life. That God permits in his providence sometimes things that are not easy or pleasant to bear but God permits them for your good. And here Jesus is simply saying to us ask God to spare you from testing and from, tr- and, and from trial. He knows how much you can bear. Ask him to lead you Do not lead you into temptation. Sensible request that you have there. So you ask God to deliver you, to not lead you into, into temptation. And the Lord may preserve you, he may deliver you, but if that is not within the scope of his will, He will give you the necessary strength and grace to persevere. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through to 9. There it is that Paul speaks about the Lord giving him a thorn in the flesh. And three times Paul pleads with God, please take this thing away. He's persistent in his prayer, you see, deliver me. How did the Lord respond to him? Did he take that thorn away, that that problem? No, 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 no. It remained. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. What a blessed promise that was. And what's Paul's response to that? I would rather know the, the, the help of God to face my trial than to be delivered from that thorn of flesh. God gave him the grace to put up with that trial, whatever it was. What do we think about this prayer in in verses 1 through to 4? This is a great prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. It's strong. It's powerful. And that's the kind of praying that you and I are to engage in. We're not coming to an unsympathetic God, a triune God. We're not coming to a father in heaven who doesn't have the slightest interest or who only responds when you start to shout at him. No, he's not like that. He's kind, he's merciful, he's gracious. And when you call upon him, he will answer. But it's telling us something important, that we are dependent upon God for everything to save us, to bring us to heaven, to give us what we need in this life, to help us to live, to glorify him. What a prayer. What a prayer. But what a God we come to, who hears our prayers and answers. Well, let's look in the second place then at verses 5 through to 8, which is a parable about prayer, a parable about prayer. <clears throat> now prayer may be what we are taught in, in childhood perhaps our parents have taken the trouble to teach us how to pray, to structure our praying to encourage us to pray in family devotions now, that's, that's a good thing uh, perhaps it is too <coughs> that our parents may one of our parents may have taken us off to bed and said well now I want you to, to pray and we would have prayed a prayer that was well-known to us and that we would have repeated, say, over years. My own mother taught me a a kind of prayer, and uh, it was like this, quoting from memory, but now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Why do I remember that? Because I repeated it for years as a child. It's ingrained in my memory, you see. And those are the kind of things that we remember. Perhaps when we say grace, particular phrases and words that we use are there, and they're fixed in our minds. Gratitude to God for supplying our food, you see. It might be that some of us have been, have, have had a Church of England background and we know from the prayer book certain prayers that we recite and say amen to in the the right places, you see. We've we've learned that. We've learned it. But while we know these things, the parable here is telling us about urgency and persistence. Now in biblical times it was the norm for visitors as they passed through uh, towns on their way from home to wherever they were going. It was not unusual for family and friends then to call upon someone in the town whom they happened to know. They could come at any time of the day and any time of the night and they would ask for shelter for the night just to be out of the elements and perhaps in the warmth of a home, but also they would ask for that they would expect to be given food to eat. And so it happened in the parable that here's this man who had who received guests, you see, visitors, friends, perhaps family members. And he welcomed them into his home and then the thought struck him, I have nothing to set before them. There's no bread. All my bread has been used, it's all gone. And you think, ah, but my neighbor, I know that he baked bread this afternoon. He's got bread. I'll go and ask my friend for that bread. And so he goes along to his friend and he knocks on the door. This is at midnight now. He knocks on the door. Everyone's in bed, asleep, and the friend is not impressed because there's a knocking at the door, the crying out, please open up, please give me bread so that I can put it before my visitors. And the man whose home is all locked up, he's in bed, he he cries out and says in effect, you know, please go home, don't bother me. It's the middle of the night, come in the morning, but don't bother me now. But Jesus says this, the friend gets up and gives what is needed. He gets up and he gives what is needed. Why? does the man do that? Because of the impudence or the cheek of the request. More. Because the man pleaded, please open the door, please give me bread so I can put some before my my visitors. And there was the man, not just knocking at the door, you know, but banging at the door. And he didn't stop. He kept on and on until his friend eventually got up out of bed and said, take as much bread as you want. Take what you need, you see. That's the parable. It's set in the context of the Lord's Prayer. And that is how the disciples of Jesus are to pray. You're not to be put off. We keep on Asking God for his aid and his help. We keep on. We are to be persistent. Parents, grandparents, not all your children are converted, not all your grandchildren are converted. That a burden upon your heart. Tell me how you pray for them. Perhaps on the rare occasion, once in a month. I doubt it because your children and grandchildren weigh heavily upon your heart. What you want to see happening in their lives is them trusting in Jesus Christ coming to faith, coming to know the Saviour who has rescued you that's upon your heart and especially if you've invested years of your time and energy in teaching them the scriptures taking them to church, praying with them giving them every positive spiritual advantage and they're going the wrong way oh they are upon your hearts and every day you will bring them before the throne of grace and plead with God Lord remember my son who's far from you, bring him to faith. In tenderness you may remember a young grandson or granddaughter praying that the Lord would just break through and and, and save them. You do it because you want to see them converted. You come every day. You bear your heart to God. You are persistent in your prayer. And that's something that's very important (coughs) in church life too. There are times when we have to be persistent as well. Uh, The Grace Church, of which I'm a member, (coughs) they were without a pastor, I think, for something like eight years. But every week and every prayer meeting... They prayed, Lord, lead us to the right man. They didn't just call anybody who happened to appear on the horizon. They prayed. The the two elders prayed. The church prayed. And God answered. You see, the church was persistent. And God answered. And wherever there are things in in church life that are an issue... My dear friends, that's how we need to pray. Persistent, not giving up, you see. May I make some suggestions to you. What's this church all about? It's a place where the word of God is preached. It's to build you up, saint of God, so that you know the scriptures, so that you can live for the glory of God. But one of the reasons why you are taught the word of God here is so that you can express your faith in Jesus Christ. So, when the church meets to pray, what do we pray? Often, every week, Lord, bring people to faith in Jesus. And upon the hearts of those who are members of the church will be their children, grandchildren, relatives, friends, colleagues at work, perhaps even people that one has contact with in the open-air meetings. They're upon your heart. They come to the prayer meeting, and they are prayed for. They are remembered before God. That's what the church does. What about your leaders in the church? your deacons, your dear elder, do you not pray regularly for these men that God would keep them, keep them faithful to the scriptures, faithful to God, that the the Lord would keep them from sin? You don't just pray that once a year, but every day that's upon your mind because you know the gifts that God has given you Concerning these men, <clears throat> when someone is struggling with health issues, else going wrong, what does the church do? Church prays, not once. Again and again and again and again and again on behalf of that person. Do you know what an encouragement it is to the person who's being prayed for? Immense encouragement. What do you think it is with your Father in heaven who hears you, the members, praying for that person? It gives him delight. Oh, the person might not know the cure to their ailments, but they will know the help of God, the strengthening that God alone can give. And so we can continue along that line, praying repeatedly to God for things privately and in the church. It's all about persistence in prayer. The third verse of George Crowley's hymn concerning the Holy Spirit is apt. He writes thus, Teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. Teach me the struggles of the soul to bear. To check the rebel doubt, excuse me. To <clears throat> check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. What's he saying? Keep on bringing requests to God. That's what you must do as a believer, an individual believer. That's what you must do as a church. <clears throat> Persist in prayer. I was reminded <clears throat> one of our church members, an elderly woman, died just last year. She was over 100 years of age. She was a faithful Christian and she prayed for, for the Grace Church. But one thing was upon her mind her son was not a Christian. <clears throat> And this woman had, from infancy, had taught, together with her husband, the Word of God, prayed with him, taken him to church. And that son was 60 years of age or so at the moment, and she's still praying. Or well, she was, she, she kept on praying until she died. The prayer has not been answered Yet. Was it for nothing? Oh no, oh no. We do not know how God works. And this is what the parable is about, persistence in prayer. Don't give up praying. Don't give up praying for lost ones, for God knows your prayers and God can answer in surprising ways. Now let's look at the third thing and it is about prevailing prayer in verses 9 through to 13. Um, Prevailing prayer. And there are three uh, pointed requests that are made in verse 9 and there are three promises attached to them. So Jesus says this, keep on asking and it shall be Given by the Lord. That's a passive, by the way. It shall be given. Who's the giver? God's the giver. What we have to do is to keep on asking. Keep on asking, and there's the promise. It shall be given by God. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking at the door. And the door will be opened. Again, that's a passive. The Lord will open the door. If you look at verse 10, it's virtually repeating what you have in verse 9. It's the same kind of thing. And it makes this extremely important and emphatic, you see. And so Jesus goes on from stating the fact there, and he says, Look at this. There's your hungry child stomach's rumbling and the child's a bit grumpy because he wants some food. And what does the child do? He can't reach up to the cupboard to get something there to eat. So the child comes to mother, to father, and says, please will you give me a slice of bread or whatever it is. Please give me something to eat. What does the child expect? That mother or father will give them, say, a slice of bread. Now it might be inconvenient for the Child, for at least for the parents, just to drop everything they're doing and to rush off and provide the food necessary. So the parent might say, um, Hold on, just give me five minutes. But perhaps those five minutes extend into ten minutes. And the child comes back and says, Mom, I really am hungry. Please, won't you give me a slice of bread with peanut butter? You see, the child comes back again. And then the parent does respond, no matter how inconvenient it is to the parents. That that parent will respond and give the child what it needs, even if the child whines about it, and cries. Father or mother, out of love, will give the child exactly what it needs. The child will not be ignored. The child will not be punished. And neither will it be given something horrible to to frighten. It's just unthinkable that a parent would give a child wanting food something that is harmful. As Jesus puts it here, like a snake, like a scorpion, no parent would do such a thing. But we give the child what it needs, what it wants. (coughs) That's exactly how your heavenly Father is. That's exactly how he is. He responds to your prayers, your asking, your persistence, and he gives you what is good for you according to his gracious will. All this comes to a great climax in verse 13, which Jesus speaks there in the 13th verse, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? The beginning of the Holy Spirit here is not some kind of um, asking for the Holy Spirit after salvation because the Spirit works to bring us to faith in Jesus and he dwells within us after we come to faith. So what, what are we looking at here, you see? It does mean this, that our Father to whom we pray in Jesus' name will give to us what we need in kindness, mercy and love and the heights of his giving would be the Holy Spirit of God. Let me just try and illustrate what I'm getting at here. You're uncertain as what you ought to do, which... uh, Which which, uh, choice you should make, which way you should go, uh, which university to study at, and so on. You're not sure. As a child of God, you need guidance. So, what do you do? Persistently pray, Lord, show me which way to go, direct me. You're praying that prayer very simply. And there's the promise God gives you the Holy Spirit. To guide you. What is the Holy Spirit's name? What does Jesus call the Holy Spirit? He also calls the Holy Spirit Parakletos in the Greek language. Parakletos, what's that? The one who's called alongside to help. You could not ask for a better gift that God should give you that guidance from His Spirit. That's a precious thing indeed that you could ask for. And it's not just about decision making, but if it comes to the understanding of, of the Bible, something is not clear to you, you don't understand it. You can ask God, Lord, help me to know what you are saying in this particular passage. What are you saying to me here? I want to know. And you you make that prayer. And perhaps it's a difficult passage and you bring this particular request to God a few times and he answers the enlightening of the spirit of God may come and you understand something that you'd never seen before about the mercy of God and how his word all just ties up and you come away from that and you're saying, I've never seen these things before. Oh, how i am just take the greatest delight in what I've just learned. You see, just what Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? If you're not a Christian here tonight, I want to encourage you with this. Ask God to save you. Come to the Jesus Christ who died on Calvary to bear your sin. You don't understand everything possibly, but you sense your need. You know that you, your sins need to be forgiven. You know that you need to be made right with God. And there's that yearning in your heart. Oh, that I would be numbered amongst the people of God. Oh, that I would be a child of God. You don't just pray it once, but, but perhaps you prayed it again and again. Keep on praying if you are praying in that way. Keep on. Don't give up. And here's the astonishing answer, you see. How much more will your heavenly Father give you? The Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. He'll bring you to faith. He'll forgive your sins. Every one of them. He'll change your life. He'll give you a heart for God to live for his praise and glory. Do you see something of this remarkable passage? The great Lord's prayer, that parable about urgency and the importance of to keep on asking God for his help that he loves to give. Oh, may the Lord help us to grasp the truth in his word here.